Welcome to the Heavy Snacking Podcast. This week our guest is Brian Morganti from Flesh and Bone Design and Dead Horse. For every day that I spend here, there's a deeper thirst for wild soda. Hello, hello. It's lucky number seven here on the Heavy Snacking Podcast, and this week my guest is musician and designer Brian Morganti, who is probably best known for his company, Flesh and Bone Design. He's the first vegan we've had on the show, so this week should be a treat. Without further ado, the Heavy Snacking Podcast is an interview podcast where we talk to touring musicians about their musical history, traveling, regional cuisine, and of course, snacks. We're exploring the wild world of fast food, gas station delicacies, and local chains from around the country. I'm your host, Alex Posca, Sunkiss Sipper, Bucky's Boy, and Del Taco Diehard. Every week, we are talking to friends, new and old, about their favorite foods, best meals, and wild adventures on the road. This week, I had a very intimate conversation about punk rock and religion, as well as the impact of touring on relationships and mental health. Me and Brian also talked about a lot of vegan food, and we talked about a lot of different sodas as well. It's a long episode, but I can safely say this is my favorite and probably most personal interview yet. Brian was extremely forthcoming and very gracious with his time. So if you're new, you can follow the podcast on Facebook or Twitter, at Heavy Snacking PC. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend. We got a lot of recommendations on this episode, so don't forget to check out our Google map, which has restaurants from all our episodes over on our Facebook page. Please subscribe, and if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email me at heavysnackingpodcast at gmail.com. As always, a big thanks goes out to Ihi for letting us use their song in our intro. Our guest this week is Brian Morganti from Flesh and Bone Design. Although he is known for his graphic design and visual work, we spend this conversation tracing his musical history. For folks who don't know about his extensive musical past, you're in for quite a ride. We talk about his upbringing in evangelical Christianity, being a dancing merch guy, and immersing himself in instrumental music under the name Dead Horse. We barely touch on his story as a designer, but we do discuss vegan delights, Ferner's Ginger Soda, and of course we have a laundry list of vegan restaurants that folks can check out over on our Google map. Please enjoy this episode.
Okay. So, Brian, thank you for joining me. This is super cool to get to talk to you as opposed to just messaging over Facebook because that's usually what we're doing. How are you today? And <laughs> you want to introduce yourself? And, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's good Good to talk with you. Uh, you know, we've been internet friends for a while, so it's always nice to be able to do things like this. And it's always kind of strange when, like, you finally hear someone's voice for the first time <laughs> after it's been, you know, maybe months of seeing things or interactions and just sort of become part of people's lives via the internet. And then it's like, oh, wait, we actually aren't part of each other's lives. And then things like this kind of like, you know, cement it. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you having me on. My name is Brian Morgani. I am a designer for my own company called Flesh and Bone Design. And I've been in a bunch of different bands over the years. Uh, most recently, I tour in a band called Boy Rex. And uh, my own band from over the years was called Dead Horse. And uh, there's a zillion other projects that I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in the midst of this. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. So you <laughs> grew up. So you grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Can you just yes. talk about your early life and maybe when you started playing musical instruments and getting into music? Music has always been a very integral part of my life. Uh, I grew up in a really small town. Just call it's called Northeast PA. Uh, I was about 20 minutes outside of Erie. So I was a small town kid. Nothing really crazy ever happened. Real quiet, conservative area. I grew up in like a very conservative Christian home. I was I was a church kid like through and through growing up. And I discovered music through church, you know, being like, you know, in, in the in the late 90s and, and very early 2000s. It's like if you were a church kid, you were like a total outcast and because of that it, you, it, you sort of develop like your your own camaraderie with you know youth group and, and things of that nature and then through that there, there was like a an exploration of of a music scene like a, a like a christian underground music scene and that's what really got me interested in the idea of like pursuing music as a thing getting into like punk rock bands like mxpx and slick shoes and, and dogwood <laughs> stuff like that so so as the as the years progressed, I, I just kept digging more and more into things of that nature, getting inspired by that, picking up drums first and uh, just sort of trying to figure it out. And I remember some of the earliest things trying to like sit in my basement and, and learn how to play Further Seems Forever songs from The Moon Is Down, <laughs> and, which is ridiculous as like a 12 year old kid because those songs are insane. And it, but uh, it was it was the type of thing that I was I was really into and, and it helped me uh, shape the things I was going for musically. And uh, yeah, just got really big into like punk rock then and, and then just started going real fast all the time and, and started bands with my friends in the area. And we would just, you know, play little shows, little church shows or VFW shows, hardcore shows, that type of thing. And uh, and, you know, it just sort of snowballed from there as uh as my interest kept expanding, the first kind of series project I developed was near the end of high school. It was like a metalcore band because at that point it was 2004 and, you know, chaotic metalcore was all the rage. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it, it was a band called The Sensory and, and we uh, we were doing the whole, you know, Norma Jean, Chariot, Blood Brothers, Fear Before the March of Flames type of thing. Uh, yeah yeah doing it very poorly of course but yeah we were we were having the time of our lives and uh 
you know, that was that was the first project that I really felt invested in where it was, it was that very typical, like, you know, mom, you don't understand me. The band's going to make it type of thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that, that was the first project that ever hit the road in 2005, literally like just a couple of days after I'd graduated high school. Honestly, from there, it's like my, my life was just kind of fast track All music. through music. Yeah. Like not nonstop ever since it's, it's been a, a wild God, what has it been now? Like 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> So but, uh, were your parents really supportive of you getting into music or did they kind of limit you only getting into Christian music in your household growing up? In, in my household, definitely. There, there was there was a, a very like strict limitation on, on music. It was like, you know, you were only allowed to listen to Christian music. So at first, it, like the, the very first things that I was in, into in that sense was like DC Talk, Audio Adrenaline, Newsboys, like this very, uh, you know, 90s commercialized alternatives to what was going on. And I even remember like in church, they would give you these bizarre uh, like comparison charts where it was like, you know, if you love Eminem, you'll love DC Talk. Or like <laughs> if, if you love Metallica, you'll love uh, like X-Tol and then like, they, they would give you like links to to check out like the Christian alternative to any band you could possibly imagine. So it was like, you can't listen to this worldly music. You got to listen to this, you know, this this Christ filled goodness. But oh. <laughs> it, it was it was very funny. But uh, you know, I, I can't remember. It would, it would have been like around fifth grade or so. I had like this little boom box in my room and uh, I, I, I would I would sit there with cassette tapes in it and and there was like a top eight at eight that that would come on and and I would turn the volume down to like 0.5 and I would hit record and I would put my put my uh, ear right up to the speaker so I could listen to like Sugar Ray and Smash Mouth and and just like yeah yeah really sticking it to my mom of like <laughs> no I you know take that I don't want to listen to your Christian music anymore and <laughs> feeling like I was like the super bad bad boy but uh it was it was pretty funny when you look back on it you know th then starting to to go to youth group and whatnot it was like this introduction to the idea that like hey there's like there there's bands that might be more edgy or, or more like what you're into and and at that time late 90s you know everything was all about like ska and whatnot so it was like the introduction of bands like five iron frenzy or the supertones uh insiders and like I said, like, you know, the, the skate punk bands like MXPX, Slick Shoes, Dogwood, stuff of that nature. And uh, that just sort of opened up this whole other world to me. We're like, oh, wow, what, what is this? And why does everyone, you know, dress crazy and everyone's got wild uh, colored hair? And this, <laughs> this seems cool. This seems like something I can get into. So uh, so I, I dove head first into it. And, and then, you know, through that, I was able to discover the idea of of local shows and and I, I remember just being like a, like a 13 year old kid you know seeing seeing pictures on on the early internet of of like punks covered in in patches and and whatnot I was like man that's so cool I, I really want to be like a like a street punk kid you know like with the, <laughs> with the with the vest that was covered in in studs and spikes and all that and uh so all that stuff was, you know, way too expensive for me to order because I'm 13 and have, you know, no money. So uh, I remember going into my mom's like sewing stuff 
and I found a bunch of like cross stitching material and I, I would print out logos from from bands online and then I would like make my own cross stitch patterns and I, and I would cross stitch patches of like these bands logos Whoa! and, and then I, I would I would I would put them on like a messenger because at that time everyone had messenger bags yes. so I, I, would, I would sew them onto my messenger bag and and I was like yeah I don't have to I don't have to go buy patches for two dollars that I don't have I can just I can just sit here for 14 hours and cross stitch my own <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I remember you know I, I like you know I would go to like the the sporting events at our high school and, and like you know in my decked out homemade awful punk rock gear thinking I was just the coolest sixth grader you've ever seen and uh and I remember you know being being handed like a flyer from like a high schooler like hey you look weird you should you should come to this weird thing and uh it was like my introduction to the idea of a local scene and local shows and this would this was like year 2000 or so you know from there that was ultimately what really started to like change my life change my future question the ideas of the church and the upbringing that I had and, uh, you know, ultimately saved my life, uh, being able to, to get involved with, with local punk rock and hardcore. So when did you sort of leave Christianity? Is that something that happens when you finally start going out on the road with your band, the sensory? No, actually. Uh, so at that point, all, yeah, all through, all through high school, I was still very much involved with with the church. Like I, I, like I said, it was like conservative Christianity. So I was like in an evangelical assembly of God, like the whole nine yards, the, the speaking in tongues, the casting out demons. Like, I mean, we're talking, we're talking deep down the hole. Right. So. Oh yeah. All all through high school, I I was still involved. I I was like, I was a worship leader. I, I was, I was the guy that was, you know, in it real hard but at the time it christianity was really peaking in a sense it was very trendy and especially in punk rock hardcore the entire underground culture there was this resurgence of christianity kind of being brought to the forefront with christian hardcore bands uh you know things like face down records tooth and nail solid state uh it was everywhere it was the commercialization of of christian punk rock and and then you had the success of bands like under oath and mm-hmm. and, and it only shot it more to the top of top of everything so it was it was a a really comfortable time to be a christian where you weren't really like questioning anything around you in a sense so you know in, in the midst of of playing in this this hardcore band you know it was probably like ha- half of us were christians and half of us weren't and you know, going out on the road at that time, uh, you know, you there was there was a lot of that. It, it, it was a lot of things that were really synonymous, I think, with the coming of age of my specific generation. There were so many people that were involved in music that came from conservative Christian backgrounds that as they were coming of age and entering their you know late teens, early 20s, it was this first look into a world outside of that bubble. Yeah. And so the more time spent on the road, the the kind of I don't know, the, the more influences you would get, the clearer things would would start to become that that, uh, you know, maybe some of this should be questioned. But uh, it, it still took a couple of years. I, I was involved until. Oh, man, it was probably about 
Well, I guess I was still in it in 2007. So uh, yeah, it was. It, I think 2007 was was when I finally left the church and Christianity and everything like for good. Uh, and I like you know haven't haven't really looked back since. But yeah, I mean it was definitely through through touring, through through a lot of influence, through through a lot of challenging of you know new friends, new ideas that you know really shook me awake out of that out of that bubble and it's definitely for the better (laughs) yeah i mean i grew up in a conservative household catholic household and punk rock and diy is kind of what opened my eyes to leftism and questioning authority and questioning that kind of stuff and it's pretty formative when everyone around you is just you know saying the same thing to you and Everyone around you worships the same religion. It's uh, easy to get caught in that echo chamber. But punk rock and DIY is something that definitely helped pull me out as well. Absolutely. Like, uh, I guess, you know, yeah, going back to that sort of thing still with with me being so ingrained in all of it, I was sort of on this, like I was introduced to like the idea of of the Christian left. And and it was like a really kind of slow pull out of all of it because you know at the time it, it was like you know maybe i don't agree with a lot of this like hard line stuff on the right but uh you know there's there's a lot kind of shifting and changing in 2003 2004 and being influenced by you know some of the more like leftist christian indie bands maybe mm-hmm. you know say like me without you for example uh you know it was it was all about like this radical kind of love the world, love everything, kind of throw these old traditions away and, and, and dig into something more all encompassing, all accepting. And, and it really resonated with, with a lot of people at the time. And, and the more and more people I talk to that come from similar bubbles of me, it's, there's, there's like, it was like a, like a baby steps thing where, you know, even though we were getting involved with things that we thought were more left, we were still so far right that we couldn't even <laughs> see it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, and then once you continue to, to climb those steps, you, you finally start to see the light and like, wow, I was still just like light years away from what I should have been and what I, what I should have been thinking. And, yeah, you know, still am today. I'm sure you know, there's, there's always something to learn, always something to, to, to dig into, but always moving left. Right. <laughs> oh Yeah. So you were playing in bands for a while, but you really started to get out there on the road a lot doing merch. Can you talk about like some of the bands you were with and how you kind of like became the guy riding along? Because I've been that guy a lot too on tour. Yeah, yeah. So after, uh, you know, so I I was fully convinced in 2005 that my terrible metalcore band was going to be (laughs) my future. You know, so it was it was lock, stock and barrel, you know full speed ahead with that and you know we did all of you know three tours as as any band does coming out of high school <laughs> and and uh the the last one ended in a in a crescendo in florida and we're uh we're like halfway through a tour and we're you know there's like a a show is done it, it was like ten, tension was brewing i don't remember the specific circumstances but it finally just turned into like an all out screaming battle in a parking lot, you know, and, and we're, we're literally 22, 24 hours from home. And it was just like, that's it. We're done. Like it's over. Like the dream is dead. Our friendship is dead. This is it. <laughs> and and uh, we, we literally 
got in the van and like didn't say a word and drove straight back to Pennsylvania and like really never spoke that much to each other ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I came home and was just, you know, crushed. Like my, my entire life compass has, has gone astray and I don't know what it is I'm going to do. You know, it was like my my first bout with this idea of like depression of like, oh, no, like my future is ruined. I, I will be nothing. I will go nowhere. What what can I do to to fix this? There was a band uh, from my city that was starting to do a lot more. Uh, they're still active today called War of Ages. And they're just like a, they're a, a hardcore band that's always been on Face Down Records. But they were they were always nice, nice guys and always involved with the local scene and doing more tours and whatnot. And I, I remember I literally sent them this like, you know, 10 paragraph, just completely desperate MySpace message. And it was just like, you know, can I in any capacity just go on tour with you? <laughs> And they were like, well, you know, we have we have this merch guy, but I don't think he's going to be able to do it anymore. And it was this guy, Charles, who played in a band called Cartel, oh, who wow. was like popping off at the time as yeah. well. Like he might he might not uh, might not be able to keep going with us because he's getting a little busy. <laughs> so uh, I, I remember it, it was something where like, OK, like we'll, we'll talk it over at the next practice and I'll let you know. And it, and it was like. One of those things where I, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. It was like my my entire future existence is riding on like the singer Leroy coming back and saying like, "Yes, you can come with us." And uh, and sure enough, it, it was it was a go. And I was just you know I was doing backflips. I was so happy. So I got to start touring with them. And right off the bat, it was like you know if you remember anything from that mid 2000s era it was like the renaissance of merch where everyone had like a wall of 17 shirt designs like that type oh, of thing yeah. uh so you know merch was merch was a big game it was a big deal even more so than just like you know trying to stay on top of all that and and the inventory and and everything you had to actually try to stand out to to make the sales to the kids at all these shows cuz it was like there was always like six to 10 bands on every show. Every band had one, had, had their own hot topic wall of shirts that they were selling. And, it, you know, it, it was started to become this thing where like people had to do everything they could to yeah, they have a live strong outdo bands. one another. So like I became known as like the, the dancing merch guy. Like I was the whole show. I was like on the table, just like dancing and just like, losing my mind like a complete <laughs> idiot but like people would think it was funny and and just like throw money at us and and it just continued <laughs> to help the merch sales and it became like this whole thing this whole shtick and it like it's absurd talking about it but like it was like serious business at the time so uh, oh yeah yeah so it was like all right it, it was solidified that i, I was going to be the merch guy here and it was it was going to last so uh, started doing a bunch of tours with them and it, it was it was just kind of back to back like at, at that time they were they were really starting to get busy and getting a lot more serious so as soon as a tour was done another one was starting we would be home for like 10 days or we'd be home for two and a half weeks and it was right back out and it, it just became a whirlwind of touring and then that compounds into 
then getting opportunities of meeting other people and touring with other people. And, you know, so War of Ages was first and then there was A Perfect Kiss. There was Chasing Victory. There was Deus Vale. There was Edison Glass. Uh, it was just kind of band after band and moving into all these different scenes and different avenues and, and working with all these different people. It was fantastic, but like it all it moved so quickly in such a short period of time that like it's hard to even remember much of what happened because it was just it was just all year round touring and and I was like I was just running from my responsibilities or like running from my future just say like like hey I don't have a life plan so like let's just see how far we can take this you know so yeah. It was uh, it was a strange time. It was very fun and like it was a great learning experience, uh, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was a, a a wild couple of years just doing that back to back. I mean, it it got to be like I don't know, like 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 thirty, forty some tours, you know, and and all of them being like a, a month long, some of them a month and a half at a time, and it's just crazy. So I got to assume, you know, you're on the road doing merch all the time. You were a guy who played in bands. You have to miss it. I know when I've been on tour with people doing merch or just booking, I always miss playing. Definitely. Definitely. And uh, yeah, I, I really started to feel that the, the last band I was working with all the time was Edison Glass. They the, the tours with them were a bit more sporadic. So that got to be when I'd have the most downtime at home again. And every single tour I did, you know, from, from anyone who, who tours, once you get locked into, into that lifestyle, it almost starts to feel like an addiction. Yeah. Uh, it, it almost starts to feel like you're, you're some kind of, some kind of drug addict and, and tour is like this, this high that never ends. And then you come home and it just feels like, you know, you're, you're coming down and you need to like, get back, get back out on the road and get back around all these people that, you know, share a similar, similar life as you or similar ideals. So, uh, you know, the, the, the first tours, it was always like going out and, and kind of being high on the experience, but coming home and, and being grateful to be around friends and, and kind of reveling in, in what had just happened. And, and then, but every single time it's like something would, would be chipped away a little bit. And, and the longer you spend away from, you know, maybe the things you do or the people you love, it, it just, you sort of become a ghost in your own life. And, in, you know, it was something where maybe you were, you were going on tour and your friends would be like, oh, let's, let's go, like, let's all go out to eat and like, you know, have, have a little like shindig to send you off or like, oh, you're coming home. Like, let's get everyone together and, and, and party as time goes on, it's like you lose contact with everyone. And, and then before you know it, people forget that you're like, Oh, I didn't even know that you were gone. or I didn't even know you were home. I just assumed you were always gone. And you become this like ghost figure moving in and out of your own life. So by the time I was trying with Edison Glass, I was very much just like this elusive character that was always gone. And it, it really started to make me feel disconnected from myself, my interests, the, the things I was doing and wanting to do. And it was kind of the first point where I was really wanting to just evaluate, like, what am I actually doing with my life? Like, I, I enjoy what I do and I enjoy being out here with these bands and, and making these friendships. But like, 
none of it feels fulfilling in, in any way, shape or form. So I remember coming home and uh, just saying, like, I have to have to do something. I have to, like, try to make something. And I started just working on some solo material uh, where it was just under my own name and uh, just weird, like little folky indie songs and mm-hmm. started to started to feel pretty good about that. Recorded some songs with with my friends and, and in off time would do shows around the area. And then the last couple of Edison Glass tours I did as a merch guy, I also went out, you know, as like the opening act as like a solo artist. And and it was like my first time back in a couple of years, you know, being on stage and, and kind of sharing my own thoughts and ideas and, and sounds with people. And I wrote all these songs that were really like kind of intimate and really quiet. And it was, uh, it was really, it was, it was honestly pretty powerful at, at the time. We, we had a really, really good time with that. And, and it really resonated something within me that like, wow, I need to like, I need to really get back into this. I need to figure out how to actually, you know, be the person that's going on tour making my own music rather than just mm-hmm. trying to peddle everyone else's wares. So uh, I finally had made the decision after doing a couple tours like that, that like I had to stop touring in general. I had to stop doing the the merch if I was ever going to actually make something of myself with, with music. And at that point I, uh, you know, told everyone goodbye and, and came home and got together with some friends and we started a band called Awaken North Wind. And this would have been in like 2007 or so. And I, I had so much inspiration, I guess, from, from everything that I'd been doing and, and really not putting any sort of effort into any creative endeavors for so long that it just sort of came pouring out of me. Within no time, I, I had written, written this entire album and, uh, putting it together with everyone else was just so much fun because the people I was working with were just so insanely talented. And and at the time, it, it was just something that was really kind of contemporary to that 2007 sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were we were doing something along the lines of like like Essie's Burn or like the receiving end of Sirens, uh, that type of stuff. And it was really fun. And, and it seemed like like that could that could be something that really really pops off so we spent a lot of time recording an album and and it, it sounded incredible and started doing some shows with that some small little runs but uh very quickly it, it was realizing that the other people in the band didn't necessarily want to tour full-time we had some opportunities on the table to work with some labels and everything but uh the you know some some of the members just really weren't wanting to pursue it as a full-time thing. So it just seemed like it was going to fall apart before it even began. And so at that point, uh, my, my girlfriend and I had, had started working on some music and, and it was also in in another sort of time of uh, transition for me and getting into different styles of music and, you know, kind of, kind of growing and adapting. And, and I was really getting into post-rock and instrumental music and ambient stuff and really okay. saying like, yeah, I yeah. would love to, you know, develop that sort of thing. And then that's where the idea started to uh, develop Dead Horse right off of like the back of Awaken Earth. Like Awaken Earth Wind was still going on. But uh, yeah, that, that was another thing too. Like even 
with, with the with the touring I would do solo. Uh, I really I would enjoy it, but I I quickly found out that through any type of extensive bouts of me singing, I, I would lose my voice, and it was nothing where. I was necessarily using my voice wrong. I would do a lot of like vocal exercise, try to like strengthen things. But it was just just one of those things where I knew if I was going to actually be in a band where I was singing all the time, it probably was not going to work out because of how fickle my own body is with that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't couldn't find a sweet spot where I could really make it sustain for a long period of time. So I was like, I have to like completely cut that out. So it was this idea of, uh, you know, going forward with dead horse as an instrumental band rather than, rather than have singing and something, something just clicked and it was like a right place at the right time sort of thing. And, and that, that was the one that finally did it for me. The music is instrumental for dead horse, but you have a lot of meaning behind the music. When you finally put out your album in 2010, We Can Create Our Own World, you had really important song titles and you had a manifesto with the album. Can you kind of give some background um, on the album and how you tried to communicate with people through instrumental music? Absolutely. So uh, going back to everything we were talking about with Christianity, uh, right when Right when I was working on the music with Awake North Wind, uh, that was when it was like the idea of of questioning everything I'd ever believed in and, and leaving the church in general. Like the Awake North Wind full length that came out was just called Doubt. And, and the entire album deals with themes of doubt and, and kind of questioning this entire world that you had been so comfortable in and saying maybe there's something else out there for me. And uh, as time went on with that, it was like the 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 final nail was was in the coffin of me sort of leaving that entire life behind. And Dead Horse was the first endeavor and the first time that I was like thinking outside of the realm of religion or, or outside of of this Christian bubble that I had been a part of forever. So with that came a, you know, a flurry of ideas and thoughts that I wanted to share and, and things that maybe still had resonated with me or, or, or moral issues that I still felt very strongly about for my religious upbringing, but thinking about it in a sense outside of the context of a God. And so, yeah, there, there, was, there was a lot of lot of important and kind of in-your-face thoughts that went along with that uh you know in in the realm of being heavily influenced by you know punk rock upbringing uh i look at things like 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 bands like crass or bands like conflict uh, rudimentary peni flex of pink indians um these bands that had unbelievable messages and it was like the music is just like a catalyst for for carrying this like much larger message altogether and uh you know when, when i was working on on music for dead horse especially being instrumental it's like i don't want this to be something that's just like open for interpretation I, I want it to be something that's very pointed and very calculated in its message 
And uh, so it was just, it was drawing inspiration from that idea of just kind of saying that like we're all in this together and we can we can figure out a way to to really push the right things forward like if if you look up uh like like old youtube videos of dead horse shows or anything i i would essentially preach like a seven minute sermon before our set started (laughs) oh yeah i was gonna ask about those (laughs) yeah we we like we like wouldn't say wouldn't really say a word while we were playing you know and there was like nothing in between songs so it was just like coming into it with this idea of like, you know, we wanted to make very clear what it is we were trying to say. And, and it, and it was nothing uh, pointed against anyone. It, it was, it was really a, a message of unification and saying that like, you know, all of us are, are meant for incredible things. And regardless of who you are or, or how you were brought up or what you think or what you're convicted by, uh, you know, you, you have, you have a purpose and you have a place within this community. And, and, and I was referring to like music in general and kind of the, the idea of always being as inclusive as possible and, and always being as like, you know, non-judgmental as possible. And just saying like, we, we don't have to separate into genres or styles or, or types of people, or these are the, the religious shows and these are the atheist shows or, or this is where, you know, homosexuals are welcome and these aren't, you know, it was just trying to say, break down every type of barrier and, and look at the people around you. How can you build up your community, your scene as best as you can to be a place of unity, to be a place of love, to be a place of hope without any type of context, you know, like usually like with, with the world that I come from, uh, you know, it was always trying to sell the idea of hope, but with God attached to it. And it's like, maybe let's not sell anything except the idea that like we can lift each other up together as a community. And, and just saying these songs are a reflection of an idea of that as a celebration. So like, no matter what it is you do, no matter who you are, like do it as big and as hard and as fast as you can forever and ever. And like always lift each other up and encourage one another within that. Yeah. So Dead Horse hit the road a lot and you guys even toured internationally. How did you guys book your early tours and what was the circumstances you were touring under, you know, like traveling in a van? Yeah, so, you know, Dead Horse was very very DIY and uh you know, I I've I've always come from that sort of background, uh, you know, growing up in Erie we're we're a poor city and everyone here is working class everyone comes from working class families so the way that we all operated and the way that we were all taught from the generation above us was that you know our our destiny is is in our own hands so there was there was never anyone with with money there was never anyone with like daddy's credit card to bail everything out there there was there was always this idea of self-reliance and and really just saying how can we pull our resources as a bunch of young 20 some punks and uh and really make this work so you know right off the bat uh we we started touring it was like 2009 2010 so 
it, it was that transitional period between MySpace and Facebook. <laughs> so you had you you know you at least had the the power of the internet at your hands. But it, it was like the earliest forms of that. Now there, it's like the the groups and systems for that sort of thing are kind of overwhelming. It, oh it yeah, seems like it, it's a lot easier. But back then it it was still just kind of you know using your rolodex of connections to say how how can we make this happen and <laughs> kind of sitting online and and being a being a friend to everyone for hours and hours a day to just like establish those friendships and relationships to then say how can we help one another out rather than just like you know sending out a zillion emails on blast so yeah everything was always done through friends we would try to do things as smart as we could, you know, learning from previous mistakes of other bands. And uh, instead of doing these things, we're like, oh, we want to like, you know, we want to go full U.S. Like we would we would do these really small, tight circles where we would go to like an area and play like four shows within like a 40 minute to an hour and a half radius. And, mm. you know, use that as a stepping stone to make as much like money as we possibly could to just keep the band going since none of us came from any type of money. So it, it was just something that started to snowball from there. And uh, it was, it was really fun to kind of grow this project from the ground up. Cause even with how it started, uh, you know, it, it, it was something where I, I had been invited to speak at a local college for like a it was like a writing seminar and like i'm not i'm not a writer at all and it, it was just someone who was a fan of some of the old awake north wind and acoustic stuff that liked the way that i wrote lyrics so they said if you come and and speak for an hour and a half about writing at this college we'll give you a check for a thousand dollars whoa and, and yeah I, I was like number one i have no idea how to speak in front of a group of people let alone a bunch of college kids and i have no idea i don't know anything about writing so i i literally just showed up like my, my girlfriend and i went and she she still makes fun of me for it like i i was just making stuff up on the spot and uh she's like sitting there watch, <laughs> watching people like take notes on everything i was saying and i'm just i'm just making it up like watching the clock like all i gotta do is get through an hour and a half of this and we have like the money we need to record an album so like it ends up working out and then I have to sit there for a little bit longer. And uh, like all these, all these kids, these college kids had like prepared poetry that I was supposed to sit and like critique. Oh. And like, I, I can't, I can barely even like make sentences, let alone know how like the English language is supposed to look on paper. So I'm sitting there having to like totally make up critiques of, of, <laughs> of these kids' poems. <laughs> I hope it, I didn't like, you know, rock their worlds in any sense. I hope it was a very forgettable thing. But yeah, so so the school then just cuts me a check for $1,000. And I talked to some friends here locally that uh, have a studio. And I said, if I give you $1,000, will you record and mix and master our album? And they said, yes. So like I immediately cash the check and immediately give them the money. And like that. And that's how Dead Horse started. And so it was like this whole idea of like this gift that sort of fell out of the sky of, of money from this college to, to get dead horse going. And uh, yeah. And then it just, it just sort of took off from there. So yeah, we, we started booking our own tours and 
uh, Rachel, my like I keep her name, she, Rachel's my girlfriend. She was in Dead Horse. She she plays uh, she plays piano. Uh, she was working terrible job, like working at Bob Evans, you know, like just, <laughs> just awful jobs, saving every penny, and and then uh, was able to purchase a used van over in Cleveland from uh, it, it was from a a blind uh, like a school for the blind. It, it was like a, a van that <laughs> they would take their patients around, and it was a it was a fifteen okay. passenger van, but it was with an extended roof, so it was a ten foot clearance, and it had like a an actual bus door, so like you opened it like a school bus driver. It, it was it was like the coolest van in the world, but it was the type of thing where uh, because of that, like she's insanely crafty and insanely talented, <laughs> uh, and and like her and her dad had like built uh bunk beds in the back of it and uh built like a cabinet where we could keep like food and groceries in there and it became like this really cozy thing and, and uh with, with the with the high clearance we we're able to build like this this cage aspect to the back of it where we could stack all of our equipment to the to the top so we wouldn't even need a trailer and uh it was it, it was really nice it, it was it was a good ride we really enjoyed that but uh yeah, no. So yeah, everything was always like 100% DIY, and and we we always really really enjoyed that. Just always working with friends, and then kind of snowballing from there, and and, and growing and growing with with each and every tour. You continued to tour for a lot of years. I think I found on your website you said you've done over 30 tours, playing in 24 countries and 47 states. What were some of those countries you got to go to? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, we, we did, we did tons of, of us touring and then uh, like the final culmination of everything we did w- was doing a, a five week tour in Europe through 22 countries. And, and that was, that was like the, the very first tour that we did where we weren't booking it ourselves. Like we, we had been approached by a booking agency that said they wanted to bring us over and, and do something pretty extensive just by ourselves, not like, not with any type of support of a European band or anything. They just wanted us. And we're like, are you sure? Like, do we even have a draw in, in Europe at all? And, and they seemed very confident about it, but we had really no idea. Like we had, we had mailed a lot of merch overseas, but we didn't think, you know, enough to like warrant a tour of that size. So it was, it was a kind of nerve wracking. It was also the the first time, all of us had been out of the country except for our bass player Tyler, so the whole experience was very new. And and on top of that being very long and drawn out, it was uh, it was a bit of a whirlwind. So yeah, yeah. So we uh, that was that was April and May of 2012. And uh, at this point, we had been going going pretty hard with with Dead Horse in in general, and uh, everything was just kind of like wearing thin. Uh, I was also like writing a bunch of material for a new album. Like right before we had left, we started talking with Jay Moss from Defeater. He was going to record our second album. Like as soon as we got back, mm-hmm. we had tours lined up for after Europe as well. And uh, things were like just looking crazy for the future. So we go overseas and we got to go through, you know, all of your standard like Western European countries. Uh, the tour started and ended in Belgium. We went through, you know, Germany and France and Italy and, and everything, but we also got to go really far east as well. Like 
We got to do three dates in Ukraine. Whoa. Uh, we got to go through like uh, Bulgaria, Macedonia, Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, Slovakia. Uh, so, it, and it was, it was incredible. Like there was a lot of kids at all these shows and we had, we had no idea. We honestly like had no idea what to expect and it went over amazing. And, and, and it still is one of those things that just completely took me by surprise. And uh, yeah, I mean, with five weeks of touring we had, I think, I think there was only one or two off days in that entire span. So it, it was just like punch you in the face, nonstop touring the yeah. whole time. And just trying to figure out how we were gonna gonna even even like uh, with our with getting a driver like like you know we we need someone to to drive for us on this tour, and there was one day where I I went through our online merch store and every single person that had ever bought any Dead Horse merch from Europe, I I emailed all of them individually with the email that they used to order merch and just said hey. We're coming to Europe. We're looking for someone to drive on a five-week tour for us, and we'll pay you. But like, it, you know, if you know anyone who does this sort of thing, if you do it yourself, let us know. And literally, this this one only like this one guy got back to us, and his name was was Flo, <laughs> and he just said, "Hey, I, I'll drive you. I'll do your tour." And he's like, "I'll, I'll do it for like fifteen euros a day." which is nothing. And, and, you know, this guy's a complete stranger. Do not know him at all, except that he bought a dead horse record at some point. And literally like, yeah, he lived in Germany, drove to Czechoslovakia to pick up the van and all the rental equipment, and then drove to Belgium to pick us up at the airport. Like a complete stranger, just like hanging out with us for five weeks on the road. And, and then come to find out his band the only, the only reason he was able to do it is because he had his own band called Continents. They were starting a tour one day after our tour was done with the same rental company using the same van that we had rented. Whoa! So what, I mean, what are even the chances of that working out? Like, it That's was cool. unbelievable. But he turned out to be like the greatest dude I'd like met in a long time and still keep in touch with him. He's, he's amazing. So even that was very DIY in the sense of like, well, hopefully this guy picks up the van and picks us up at the airport. <laughs> if not, it will be uh, will make for an interesting time. But uh, but it was it, it was cool. It was a great experience. But that that ended up being the very last thing that Dead Horse did. Why why, why was that? Coming home from that tour, uh, there there was. Uh, but there was a bunch of, of crazy situations. So like, like everything with that tour worked out great. Like it couldn't have gone better, honestly. But um, before we had left on that tour, our drummer at the time had decided he was going to leave the band. And previous to him announcing that, uh, he, he had a nicer, newer 15-passenger van. So Rachel had sold off the one that we were touring with. And so he was in the band for good and we were using his 15 passenger van. And then we got the opportunity to do the Europe tour. And then right after we booked the plane tickets, it was like two days after we booked the plane tickets, he had come to us and said that he wasn't going to be a part of the band anymore. And, uh, and it was something where like, oh, wow, like if, 
if this would have been known prior, we probably would have put the Europe tour on hold to use that money to get a new touring vehicle. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, in, in a way I was like crunching the numbers and thinking, okay, like we should come home from this tour with enough profit to put a down payment on a new vehicle and we'll be able to go from there. So we started booking summer tour and getting everything lined up for recording in the fall of that year. And then uh, when we got to Europe, it was something where there was, there was one show that we weren't able to make because of getting held up at the Ukrainian border. <laughs> and we were, we were there for hours and like had to like bribe cops to like, let us go. It was ridiculous. But because we showed up to the show late, it like voided our contract so they didn't have to pay us that night. And then there was like one or two other situations that happened uh, like that where there was something that had to like we had to get a lower guarantee because of a situation. And then uh, we were hit with a bunch of extra baggage fees uh, going to and from Europe when we had we had called the airlines beforehand and uh they had said oh you can like take all this stuff as carry-ons no big deal and then when we got there they said no when we were hit with like hundreds and hundreds of dollars with, with all with these extra baggage fees so it worked out to like almost the exact amount of profit i thought we'd come home from we we lost on those ventures right so when we came home we were able to like pay off the merch we were able to pay the booking agent we were able to pay for our uh, you know, the money we put in for flights and everything, but then we had sort of zeroed out uh, money-wise. And, and it was something where I had said, like, we had been going really hard and everyone was kind of getting tired and, and worn out. There was like, you know, just like with any situation like that, there was just tensions in the band in general. The, the other guitar player, after we came home, had decided uh, he was he was pursuing a, a hardcore band at the time. <sighs> And they started touring and, and he was going to be leaving. So we were down a drummer. We were down a guitar player. We had zeroed out on money and had no vehicle. So we we're like, well, if there's literally a point to ever just call it with a band, it's right there. So we just called it. And, uh, and, and you know, over the years, it's like I have gone on to record some things and release things as is. But like we, we have never done shows or tours since zeroing out. <laughs> after yeah. you well i noticed when i listened to crescendo which is the release you put out last year i kind of expected or envisioned like a shredding post-rock you know rough 20 something album but it's really meditative and it's a very emotional piano album can you tell yes. me a bit about putting that album together and why you finally put it out well yeah um yeah after everything happened there I sort of, I had started to like sort of step away from music in general, uh, you know, going back to this culmination of my, my earliest tour efforts and then all of the, the touring as a merch guy and then trying the solo thing and then Awaken North Wind and Dead, it, it was just this, this never ending barrage of, of trying and, and retrying and starting and restarting. And at this point I'm, I'm 20, 25, 26 and just saying, you know, getting getting to that breaking point of like, you know, when do you finally call it? And uh, and and I I like literally just had to step away from music because I just felt like I had nothing nothing really left to share, nothing 
that was going to to really make sense. There was a lot of like, you know, personal things that were that were going on and just a lot of lost direction. And uh, at that time, Rachel and I moved away from the area. You know, we were trying to just like start a new life. We moved to North Carolina and uh, I, had, I had recorded some music down there and that was what was released in 2013 as the Decay EP. And uh, that even even at that point in 2013, we were like, well, you know, maybe we can, you know, get the band restarted down here in uh, North Carolina. We we were we had a bunch of roommates that were in bands. This one band called Barrow, they 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 had all had expressed interest with wanting to work with us, but like it just honestly never really panned out. And then we didn't really spend as much time in North Carolina as we thought we would. We we left there after only living there for like seven months, and uh, so then after leaving there we had we had moved to florida and and i had just completely stopped music at that point and i i would i had already transitioned into design so it was like design sort of took the the forefront and i couldn't even really think about about music so last year was when i started putting the crescendo stuff well it was actually late 2016 that i started putting that stuff together and it kind of all started in the wake of Trump being elected in 2016 and just thinking, man, like, I wonder how this is going to affect everything. Yeah. And, and just sort of being downtrodden about the, the direction of, of life and the direction of everything. And I had, I had been really affected by, you know, what was going on with the Ukrainian war a couple of years back with the Euromaidan. I'd, I'd mm. been affected by, you know, what was going on in, in Syria and, you know, just like this culmination of a couple of years of all these things going from bad to worse and, and, and finding like a, a creativity within that to just sort of share some thoughts and, and to go along with, with Crescendo. It was, you know, another release of ideas and, another manifesto and and these very pointed things of, of saying that like you know that entire album was coming from a place of like exhaustion it was coming from a place of fear of, of just not knowing you know what the future holds for us and and wanting to kind of make this album of really beautiful sounds that are just based around this idea of a world in chaos yeah, so I just started putting those together in, in 2016 and uh, then released them later on in 2017. And yeah, that's the that definitely brings us up to speed as to what I've done musically. <laughs> but it, it was fun to put that out. And it's it's just kind of, you know, it, it was the idea of like a little whisper of this. This is this is what's left of of music within me right now. And and uh I don't know. Also, I'm just, I'm really drawn to that sort of stuff anymore. I listen to a lot of ambient stuff, really minimal stuff and wanted to challenge myself to, to do something as minimal as possible. And I really liked how those songs came together. So did you play everything on that release? Uh, yes. Okay. You wrote a piece on your blog with your thoughts about contemporary politics. And you mentioned that Trump is one of the reasons that, you know, you wanted to get something out. But with so much awful stuff going on in the world, I'd rather focus on, like, things that you think are reasonable changes people can demand and what forces for good do you see happening right now? Because it is a scary time for a lot of folks. Wow. Well, 
I think I think there's a lot of positive change coming from the generation below mine. This, you know, Generation Z or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. The, the the young kids right now seem to be full of a lot of anger and full of they're, they're, but they're also still full of a lot of that hope that is quickly lost once you hit your mid twenties, early thirties. <laughs> so uh, they have an optimism to still change the world, and uh, I don't know. You you see things talked about and accepted at such early ages now that weren't even considered when I was young. And, oh yeah. You know, with, with everything that has happened and, and grown with you know the idea of inclusive lifestyles and sexual orientation and uh call out culture and I, I don't know all, all of these things dealing with identity and, and and gender it's it's amazing to see these really large really abstract really powerful and important ideals really brought to the forefront by young people that are eager to say like, hey, you don't even realize like how wide of a spectrum life is or love is. And and we're here to sort of reteach the world about what it is to be like part of a community and part of, of, of a world that can change and act for good. And, and I don't know, you see an explosion of veganism, you see an explosion of environmentalism uh, and just people that are more conscious in general of the people around them, the things they're actually doing or saying and the, and the world they're, they're wanting to live in and, and the, the things they're spending their money on. And all of that is very, very encouraging to me. And, and I think ultimately that's the, that's the snowball that that gets rolling that that finally causes the the type of change we all want to see and causes the the revolutions we want to see and hopefully the these kids are the ones that you know burn it all down and put put all these uh men's hands heads on on stakes and and we can we can finally uh realize a, a world based off of community and sustainability and I don't know, something more powerful than what's happening now. Hell yeah. Okay, well, you've been doing design for a long time. I feel like we could talk about that for another hour, but <laughs> maybe we can do like a part two or something and get to that. Let me refill my water and then let's talk about food. Okay, I'll do the same thing. Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here is Contamination by Dead Horse.
So let's talk about food. I'm excited to have you on this one because you're my first real vegan. I've had some <laughs> other people who were vegan for a time or one of my interviews broke. Well, they broke vegetarian on 9-11, which is kind of a crazy thing. <laughs> but you are vegan and you're pretty passionate about it and you have toured as a vegan. So tell me a little bit about the challenges of being on the road. Well, okay. So this is, this is interesting because when I, you know, everything that we have just talked about, that whole era is a time when I was not a vegan. And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, it, it, I, I have, I have since, you know, started touring with boy Rex and, and, that those are the, like those are the first tours now that I have done as a vegan. So it's like through this lens, you know, like when when I was young, and I was you know nineteen and twenty, like food was like lowest common denominator <laughs> on 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 anything. Like we went on tour as broke kids, and you know I, I would try to limit myself to spending two dollars a day on food. Whoa. And and when you do that you know, you're eating literal trash and, you know, it, it's something you don't even think about because your metabolism is amazing. You're burning all this energy and, uh, and you're poor. So who cares? So like, you know, anything through dead horse, anything through all of the, the, the bands that I would do merch for none of us, like all these different groups of people, none of us ever cared about food. Like food was never a central point of interest. And if anything, it was just the daily annoyance that we had to pay for. (laughs) You know, so transitioning out of, you know, touring in my early 20s to then stopping music completely, becoming a vegetarian, then becoming a vegan, and then picking music back up as like someone in my 30s who has money and has this different outlook on life it, it's it's why it's like night and day because you know as before it, it was just like oh whatever's closest let's just eat it and get it over with now it's like this adventure of like oh my god <laughs> i get to eat at all these amazing places around the country and and uh actually like you know really enjoy that part of the day probably more than than the plane itself so back in those days, were you guys like dumpster diving then to find food oh, or no, no. doing we, other sorts yeah, of things we were, to get free food? <laughs> yeah, we weren't eating literal trash, but, uh, you know, trash in the sense that like if you're if you're budgeting two to five dollars a day on food, you're you're literally just stopping at Wendy's or you're stopping at, you know, McDonald's or Arby's or you know, fill in the blank on any of those. You're just getting dollar menu cheeseburgers and <laughs> and or, or dollar menu McChickens and hoping you don't bite into a knuckle. That type of stuff. It, it, it was just it was just bad in that regard. And then uh, you know also a, a lot of a lot of times we would get some type of food provided for us at shows. But like as anyone knows with that, it, it's always just like Little Caesars hot and ready's. Yeah. So or pasta. You, you go on tour. Yeah, yeah. You go you go on tour and, and twenty five out of the thirty days your dinner is the little Caesar's hot and ready. <laughs> and who knows what that what that does on your body in the future, but yeah, I can't I can't, imagine I can't eat little Caesars anymore. <laughs> yeah. It, it wrecked oh, right? me too like, much. Yeah. I used to love it. I used to I used to just 
I just eat a whole pizza myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, oh. Like uh, Rachel will always say to me, like, you know, she she was a she was a soccer player in high school, and just like, yeah, I I would get done with soccer practice and eat an entire hot and ready, you know, on my own. <laughs> and and now we'll like once in a while we'll make like a like a ten inch vegan pizza for dinner, and like we we can't eat we we both collectively eat half of it. <laughs> like how did I ever eat an entire hot and ready? That's like it's gotta be like four thousand calories. I know, right? <laughs> so when you were on tour, were there any like chains or places around the country that like you would remember or you would go back to, either because they were really cheap or they were really good? Well, yeah, um, yeah. In that sense, uh, yeah, like talking regional chains, a couple that that stood out from that era. One was uh, Western New York had Mighty Taco. Oh, I've heard about it. <laughs> yeah, and my, Mighty Taco is pretty good. It, it's still good. Like it still holds up even as a vegan. Uh, <laughs> you, you can get some solid bean burritos with ma- amazing sauces on it and whatnot. Not, not so bad. I, I was I was always very into it. Like when we were in the area, I was always like, "You gotta, you gotta stop at Mighty Taco." Like that's definitely a thing. Hmm, I didn't go there um, when I was in Rochester, but I, that's why I heard uh, about it. You blew it. <laughs> I got garbage plates and pizza logs there. I, I had a great time. It was delicious. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, no, Mighty Taco has has always always done me well. And uh, another one is down in North Carolina. You have Cookout. Oh, I want to go so bad. Oh, and yeah, cook, People Cookout People keep telling me is, about it. Oh, Cookout is the ultimate trash platter. Like, <laughs> there, no, like, oh my God, like... Most of them, you know, it's just like a like a window you like walk up to, or you just do like a drive through. And I don't know if it's still this cheap, but it used to be something where like you you would get a meal for five dollars, and, and you would get you would get a main item, you would get two sides, and then you would you would get a drink or like an ice cream like Sunday float milkshake thing, <laughs> all for five bucks. So like. People on the road, you're just, you know, it, it's literal heaven because it's it's quick and it's just fried nonsense. <laughs> and it, I mean, it all tasted incredible. Like I, I doubt there's like even one thing I can eat there now. But oh my god, they, they would have they had these little like uh, like little hush puppies where it was like corn and oh, cheese, I love like hush puppies. fried balls. Uh, like you could get you could get corn dogs as a side, like stuff like that. Like, it's just just ridiculous. But uh, they were always amazing. It was always something everyone looked forward to. It was before you could get cheer wine in a lot of places. Oh, like yeah. I don't know if you ever had to go to cheer wine, but uh, it, that was like a like a North Carolina staple. Like if you're in North Carolina, you got to get cheer wine. And, uh, just getting like cheer wine floats. Oh my god, they were oh. they were incredible. <laughs> oh, the guest on my fourth episode, David Dundero, brought up cheer wine. And yeah, it's one of those little regional sodas and sparkling waters that yeah. are just like amazing. Well, you would particularly be fond of Verner's, right? From where you're oh, from. Oh, I love Verner's. I, I love Tell Verner's. people about Verner's and why it's a bit different than other ginger ales. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. Like, okay, so Verner's is is a small Michigan company. They, they've been around since like... I want to say it's like 1866 or something. 
Like they're they're like older than Coca Cola. They're they're like like an, they're like an OG American company, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's insane that like gin, this ginger ale company can outlast like everything. But uh, I don't know. There there's something different about it. You have you have Canadian Dry or you have Schweppes, and you know it's it's okay. But I, I always feel like it's really watered down in in a sense. But Verner's is just like a whole whole other world. Well, it's, it's, got, it's got like a it's got like a better sweetness to it. It's got more of a ginger bite, and God, it, it's just the best. Like like uh, Rachel and I at our house have like like a, a never ending flow of Verner's. Like we we have like a line of two liter bottles that we keep in our pantry, what? and as soon as we get as soon as we get down to the last one, it immediately goes back on the on the grocery list. Like oh, gotta restock <laughs> the Verner. Like. It's always there, and it's like we'll like sit down to to like you know watch Netflix at night, and we each have like a glass of of Verners. <laughs> wow, you know i I really like whiskey ginger, and so I've been trying lots of different ginger ales. And okay. Verners is it's sweet. I yeah, I feel like the people I showed it to in California were like, "This is really sweet ginger ale," and yes. I liked it. I mean, I think it definitely is more flavorful. But. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and it's also one of those things where all these other brands—they're always advertised as just like ginger ale, but for some reason, Verner's is advertised as like the ginger soda. Oh. And I, I don't—I don't know if that has a bearing on anything, but it, I mean, it has like the sugar content of a Mountain Dew. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sweet. It's real sweet. But uh, I love it, and, and yeah, I mean, I'm—I'm I'm straight edge. So I don't know about the whiskey ginger thing, but I, I can definitely see Verner's being the top pick for that. I bet the, all, the, all the other stuff is probably way more watered down. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, if we're going to talk about other stuff local to kind of where you are in western Pennsylvania, let's talk about Wawa and Sheets. Oh, God. <laughs> Which one do you prefer? Well, okay, so so that that is... That's difficult to answer, especially as a vegan. As a vegan, they're they're both pretty bad. Uh, there's not a lot of option. You know, places like that are, are a very big disappointment for anyone who is a vegan, and and it's frustrating because you go there with your friends and you're like, man, look at all these amazing options, but I can't get literally any of them. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say, uh, I think you can make a case for both of them. Uh, where where I live, there is no Wawa. It's it's only Sheets Country. Uh, Wawa only starts on the other side of the state. Okay. So it, it's always been more regional to that side of things. And you know, touring over there or, or taking trips over there is always like, oh, like maybe we should stop at Wawa. That's different. And honestly, I was always very disappointed. <laughs> I, I, but but that was coming from the brain of someone who literally doesn't care anything about food. And was just looking at it as like lowest common denominator. Like, why are these hot dogs more expensive than Sheets hot dogs? <laughs> you know, that, that type of thing. So in that argument, because, you know, you have it with everyone. I was always team Sheets. And, and wow. I, would, I would say it, in that regard, Sheets is, is the, the, the pick if you're looking for cheap and experimental because they're always the ones that do the really kind of zany yeah wild stuff where you're like oh god that sounds like a heart attack but i'll try it you know 
And uh, but where Wawa was better as far as like fresher ingredients, better quality type of food, but you're going to pay a little bit more, which is fine. And and being in that region too, it, it still ended up working out to probably be better priced than uh, if you had to like sit down at a restaurant. Uh, and but I, I would make a case for a third place. That okay, is here I love hearing Western, the third option. Yeah, in Western PA, there is a grocery store called Giant Eagle. Oh, okay. I've seen these. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Giant Eagle is is all in, in Western PA. It goes into Ohio, West Virginia, etc. But they have their own gas station called GitGo. <laughs> and GitGo is exactly like like a Sheets or a Wawa, like, you know, made to order food. And, and they have like, I, I feel like if anything, they are a sweet spot between Sheets and Wawa. They're they're less ex, they're they're less expensive than Wawa, but they're better quality ingredients than Sheets. So it, it's like this this middle ground of of getting all kinds of wild experimental type foods or things that are very particular to the Pittsburgh region. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I like I have a get go right down the road from my house and a Sheets, and I I go to get go all the time. Like I I prefer get go, especially as a vegan too. Because they even have like a vegetarian menu on, on their Whoa. little touchscreen things. They have veggie burgers, but the, the quality of their actual ingredients are better. They don't have six inch subs; they have seven inch subs, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is which is uh, a plus. But like, I don't know. You can get like a full veggie sub with hummus on it, and it's like four bucks and mm. incredible. And I don't know. You can't get that at Sheets. They're they're wow. like two dollars, but they're also a nightmare. Dang, I need to go back. This is one of the great things about this podcast is I found out about places I've missed or places that I know I missed have mm-hmm. been like reaffirmed. Definitely. Because the East Coast has a lot of unique things, but here on the West Coast, we got some stuff. So I think I might ask you about some West Coast stuff here. Um, okay. Have you been to California much in the last five, six years? Uh, I was in Los Angeles in the beginning of 2017. Okay, so did you try? That was the last time I was there. Yeah. So did you try Del Taco? Oh I, yeah, I've been to Del Taco. So how do you feel about Del Taco? As I tell Del everyone, this is a pro Del Taco podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, when when I was touring with War of Ages, we would always uh, we would do Face Down Fest, which is in Southern California, and that was it was always at the Glass House in Florida. Oh, yep. Oh, I grew up going there. And but before or, or like while, while you were at the, the fest, it, it was like a two day thing. They, there was always a mountain of Del Taco in the back that that you could just you could just they, they would make like like pyramids of Del Taco. Yes. And, oh. and it, like if you were with the bands, you could just go back there and, and just you could just eat as much as you wanted. And then they would just restock the pyramid. It was absurd. Oh, sounds like a dream. Yeah. But I, I always remembered really enjoying it. I. <laughs> I, I don't remember much about it, but I always remember, oh, this is good. Like, I wish this was, you know, on the East Coast. This is a, a great, this, this is better than Taco Bell, that's for sure. Yes. Go up to Detroit. <laughs> There's some Del Tacos in Detroit, actually. Really? Okay. I discovered that on tour. They're not as good. Um, I mean, it probably has something to do with where the ingredients are sourced, just because in California, like, we're so close to a lot of agriculture that's, of course. you know, specific to Mexican food culture, you know, Absolutely. like cilantro now, and stuff I, like that, but... Yeah. Now, how is Del Taco like? It's vegan though, like, because that—that's always the thing. Like, these places hold up so good, but then, like, when you put it to the vegan test, 
it can be pretty disappointing. Um, I know vegans that eat there. I'm pretty sure their fries are not done in any sort of oil that's not vegan friendly. Verified. They're vegan. And I know people get their bean and cheese burrito. Oh, no, sorry, bean and cheese. Bean and rice burritos there a lot. Okay. Um, I don't know. But Taco Bell, you know, Taco Bell definitely does have, like, those vegan options. And, you know, as much as I don't like Taco Bell, I can't fault them because they try hard. <laughs> they feed a lot of bands, you know. I just wish I could get sponsored by Del Taco. For sure, it's yeah. a dream. <laughs> now, now, when I was in California, uh, it was the it was the first time I got to eat at that chain Veggie Grill. Really? That's a West yeah. Coast thing. That's a West Coast thing. Oh, uh, yeah. I hadn't uh, I hadn't been there before, would, and I was I was looking forward, especially as a vegan, to to go to one of those, and I was definitely not disappointed. That was great. Really? Okay. Well, that's yeah. good to hear. I know. I've been there a couple times, and when I do takeout, it's always worse. Like, the food just gets cold really easily <laughs> from okay. Veggie Grill. I don't know why. <laughs> I can see that. Because <laughs> there's a Native Foods nearby me as well, and Native Foods is also a vegan place that we have here uh, in Southern California. And I'm more of a fan of Native Foods, I would say. Even though I'm not vegan, I, I just like Native Foods better. I don't know. They okay, have more yeah. interesting I, menu I items, too. Yeah. Native Foods doesn't always try and, like, imitate meat items they don't do that as much as veggie grill does okay so they're, they're like an actual healthy place yeah oh yeah i mean the person working behind the counter is probably gonna have colored hair you know of course. <laughs> even yeah, in the that, suburbs that's, great. that's awesome <laughs> so you've done a little bit of touring lately what are some vegan restaurants you've encountered on the road that you really wish you had in your hometown or you want to go back to oh my goodness so many like this, this is an important thing for vegans i think especially on this podcast exactly and oh my god like yeah once you yeah once you actually you know dig into being a vegan or whatever and, and you get frustrated by your food choices going out go, going on tour just becomes like a food vacation <laughs> because you're going to all these larger metro areas that always have all of the the restaurants that you you hear about online or you see other friends have been to and you're like man i want to get there i want to go there and so it just becomes this this thing of like it's like a scavenger hunt <laughs> of, of like being able to check off all the the places you've always wanted to been to you always wanted to go to and also like with touring with boy rex uh the the main guy from that project jack seneff like he is like he is a huge food person like you you should talk to him because it would probably be like an yeah. eight your podcast <laughs> uh he, he he could do one that's eight hours just on coffee alone, let alone. Oh my gosh! But uh, yeah, like we we uh, we we did this run last uh, last year that was like a Canadian tour, and uh, the whole thing worked out to be more of like a food vacation than an actual tour. Like we spent more time and attention on like where we were going to eat rather yes. than like. Uh, you know, then, then it's like, oh, and I guess we have to play a show tonight, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like he, he would have like an itinerary, like we got to like make sure we're here for this coffee in the morning that we got to be here before they oh, stop wow. serving this lunch. And he, he's wild with that type of stuff. But, um, no, I, I guess the, yeah, the last couple of tours I've done, uh, I, I was trying to like rack my brain with, with some things of that nature and, and, and come up with some some good stories or, or some some certain places but yeah there, there's definitely some favorites uh one, one that i had wanted to get to 
for a while was Blackbird Pizza in oh, Philadelphia. Yes. Which I'm sure you've heard about. I'm sure, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've probably had it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they, they are known for having a lot of incredible vegan options. And they, they do some wild seitan wings. And uh, I don't know, you, you just never hear a bad thing about them. And I had been in Philly on a tour previous uh, this Boy Rex tour. And it was I, I was filling in with the band Naked Spirit. But we weren't able to do Blackbird. It was like a day they were closed, and we went to another another place called Tattooed Mom, which was also like equally incredible. I, I really really enjoyed it. But uh, so on this Boy Rex tour, we we get to Philadelphia, and we we're like all set to like okay, we can finally go to Blackbird Pizza. So the day that we're in Philly, I wake up that morning, and I am literally sicker than I have ever been in my life before. <laughs> like. You know, you, you get sick on tour and it's bad. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I look back on things where I, I was sick and didn't really enjoy it. But this tour specifically, every single one of us in the band got each other sick in, in a span of like two or three that days. That happens. Oh, yeah, that happens and, on tour. But, but it was like it was to the point where like like I, I had I had quite literally never been that sick on the road. And, and it was it was just hell. Like, like like that that night at the show, it, like once we got done playing, I, I felt so bad. Like it was it was in the middle of winter. It was freezing cold. The venue was just as cold as it was outside. And I was in the back by the merch, curled up in a ball, like cuddling my amp head. And, and, just, <laughs> and, and I was holding my hands over my ears because the music was bothering me so much. And it would just make me feel sicker. So I was just a ball on the floor, cuddled around an amp covering my ears for like the last hour of the show like this is a nightmare <laughs> like i had never looked more pathetic in my life so yeah so earlier that that day we had we had gone to blackbird and i i i'm like completely out of it completely just like medicine head i can't even function i can't smell anything i can't taste anything and uh i order my my seitan wings and i they they just you know they sit them down in front of me and they smell so good and so strong, but it's so unbelievably overpowering that it starts to make me even like sicker. Oh. And, and I just sit there, and I just like close my eyes trying to concentrate on like not throwing up. And I just, I just fall asleep right in front of them. Oh. So, oh. so there, and there's like, there's like a bunch of, they, they like took a bunch of pictures of me. I'm like, I have been talking about this, wanting it. And here it is right in front of me and I'm just sleeping. <laughs> I, I can't even enjoy it. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even get to eat one. I had to take them with me and then eat them cold. <laughs> like like two days later when I could finally like start to eat again. And so they like weren't even good. <laughs> it was so disappointing. So like I can't wait to go back to Philly now and actually eat them hot and fresh and not like a sick mess. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> So what are some uh, other restaurants? Oh uh, yeah, so uh, there there's a a place in Gra a place called Grasshopper in Toronto that was incredible. I remember getting really good uh, uh, vegan sloppy joes up there. Whoa, that were that were awesome. Also uh, another place in Toronto called Doomies, and they have a vegan Big Mac, <laughs> Whoa. and it's like 100% real deal, like. God, they they nailed the secret sauce. It's too like enormous Beyond Burger pet. Like the thing. Okay, is so just, using the Beyond Burger. It's a Goliath. It's just a Goliath of a burger, but uh, absolutely phenomenal. 
and and people come from all over to to eat that and what was not disappointed another favorite was champs diner in new york city i don't know if you've heard of that or not but it is an all vegan diner like in the heart of brooklyn whoa yeah so it, so it's like a it's like got like a like a vintage diner vibe and like the whole menu is just like normal diner food but every single thing is 100% vegan and uh one of the things i'm always looking for when when i'm in situations like that is like vegan fried chicken like i i used to love fried chicken so much (laughs) and uh so when when i can when i can find any type of vegan fried chicken done well i i'm just all about it so at champ's diner they have a, a vegan fried chicken sandwich so i was very excited to get that and so i order it and start eating it and it first off absolutely incredible like probably the best vegan fried chicken I've had in the country, but they do something to it where it has like, it's like wrapped in a skin before it's fried. So it actually has like a fried chicken skin, Whoa! but but it's vegan. (laughs) And it gets all crispy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So like it it just, and I've I've seen things like this before where people will will like, like they'll, they'll make seitan and they'll wrap it in like uh, like spring roll wrapping and season oh. the spring roll wrapping so it comes out like brown and crispy like a skin. And then if you fry it on top of that, it's like having like like that chicken skin. And, and I mean, it just it just blew me away. It blew Jack away. I remember like after the tour was done, there, there was a day where I woke up to a Facebook message. Like like uh, Jack had messaged me like super late at night, and he's like, Brian, I was just like like thinking about that chicken skin and how unbelievably real it like that was crazy <laughs> it'll like regularly come up in conversation like that was insane but uh it was, it was very very good and a, everything we got there we we, we had a, we tried a whole bunch of stuff and it was all just phenomenal another place uh on that no it was it was on the naked spirit tour uh was called crust and crumble in asbury park new jersey and uh that that one was funny because it was like it was like a satisfying meal after being starved to death <laughs> uh, so the situation there we we had been in uh i think it was massachusetts the day before and wherever we were staying there was like there really wasn't anything for me to eat like at the house and there wasn't anything to eat like around the house like like there wasn't any type of restaurants or convenience stores or really anything so it was like okay well i'll just eat when we get on the road so we get on the road and the whole route to this place is basically like toll roads oh so so there's not there's nothing like we're not getting off the toll road we're like strapped for time and we can't really stop so the only place we finally stopped to get gas has a subway in it which oh yep they're everywhere most common restaurant in america probably on the road honestly a lot of people give Subway a bad rap. I'm fine with Subway, especially as a vegan. Like a, a bunch options. of veg- yeah, a, bu- a bunch of veggies on a piece of bread. That's fine with me. Sweet onion sauce is vegan. That's okay. Call it a day. Like if I'm in a pinch, I'm I'm gonna have Subway. That's mm-hmm. cool. But this particular one was one of those like because we're a toll toll or, or like because we're a turnpike one, we're gonna like you know gouge you on price. Oh, so yeah. it was like it was like nine dollars for like a six inch sub. 
and and just on principle alone, I was like, I'm starving to death, but that's crazy. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not eating a crappy Subway sub for nine bucks. I was like, well, I can I can hold out a little bit. I can just wait till we get to the show. So at this point, it, I hadn't I hadn't eaten anything in like I don't know twelve to fifteen hours, and I was just like starving. And so we get we get to the show, we get loaded in. And we have to do like a sound check. And on the way there, I was looking up, oh, there's this place, Crust and Crumble, that's uh, near the venue. Uh, it's like it's like a mile away or something like I can I can go to that. That'll be that'll be wonderful. And it closes at like seven o'clock or something. Oh. And uh, so we, we get set up and sound check and everything. And it, like it, it, w- it was just getting later and later to the point where like. I wasn't going to make it type of thing. Mm. And, and then uh, they're like, well, I, I, anyway, sorry, I, I was thinking like, okay, I can get done with sound check and, and go. But then they were like, oh no, you have to like start playing now. So we had to, we had to play our set. And again, just, it's like middle summer. I'm starving and super hot. And we, we get done. It's like 648 or something. And this place closes at seven and I immediately put my, my like stuff down and I asked the other guitar player, I'm like, will you pack my stuff up if I literally run to this restaurant so I can eat? Like I had, like everyone else had gotten to eat and like, I had not gotten anything. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So I, I like, I literally like throw open the emergency exit behind the stage Mm -hmm. and I, I start full on like sprint running like i hadn't i hadn't run in years like I, I don't even remember the last time i ran anywhere but i i ran a literal mile to this restaurant to try to get to it before it closed just so i could order like a vegan chicken parm sandwich <laughs> <laughs> and and it's like you know the the thing like thinking back like how food was such like a, a lowest common denominator thing of just Oh, I'll eat wherever. Like now I'm literally exerting my body full force after playing a show just so I can get a vegan option at a, at a local <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> and it did not disappoint. It was insanely satisfying. And it was, and it was like the, the very, they, they were almost out of bread for the day. That, that was the problem. And like, they were like, oh, this is like the very last piece of bread that we even have that we can make the sandwich on for <laughs> So it was a it, it was a very rewarding experience after starving for like fifteen hours. So, are there any like go to snacks at gas stations or convenience stores for you now that you're vegan? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess the nice thing too with with something of that nature, whenever you go into convenience stores, you're sort of bombarded with options, and being vegan just severely limits that. Yeah. So you you kind of always know what your options are, and I I don't know I'm not really I'm not a big candy person, but I'm I'm real big into chips. I love chips. Really? Okay. And yeah, I I always always go for the chips. So if I'm up here in the Northeast, uh, I love Utz chips, and <laughs> I I don't know if you ever had Utz chips, yeah. but oh my god, just incredible. They they have uh an equivalent to like the flaming hot chips. Like, do you like all the flaming hot chips? Really? They have an equivalent. They do. And it's vegan. Oh. Like all, all the other ones are not vegan. Like, you know, flaming, flaming hot, anything is not vegan because it has some sort of milk ingredient. Yeah. And the, the Utz ones, 
I think, taste better than Flamin' Hot, and they're vegan. So I love stocking up on those. They're absolutely incredible. But uh, besides that, I mean, you have like your purple bag of Doritos, the yeah. the the main vegan chip. Yeah. You have like uh, the barbecue flavored Fritos corn chips. Those are those are vegan. Yeah. Uh, usually any type of like salt and vinegar ones that I can find from any type of local brands that are uh, that don't have the milk in them. Those are always good. And uh, potato sticks. I just love like good old fashioned potato sticks. Are those like the French fries in a bag? Uh, not, is, is not really. Different? Yeah. They're, they're like these really hard crunch. They're, it's almost like tortilla strips or something, oh. but they're thinner. They're, they're like the size of like a mat. Whoa. I never had that. Go look for them at your local grocery, your local uh, gas station. I'm sure someone has them. Potato sticks. Huh. Potato sticks. They're, they're like a grandma food. <laughs> I remember my grandma's always having potato sticks in <laughs> there. But those are always real, real solid. I like, I like that salty snack. So something like that, or just peanuts. But uh, yeah, if I have to eat candy, it's like you know Skittles, Airheads, Swedish Fish, mm. that type of thing. Yes. The safe go-to's. Do you Sour Patch do, do you do Oreos? Uh, yeah, I do Oreos. That that's always the running joke. Yeah. Of like, oh, you're vegan, so all you can eat is Oreos. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, if I have to be honest, I I have. I have Oreos in my refrigerator right now, and it's like the best after lunch snack. Why are they in the refrigerator? Oh, because you got to eat them cold. Hmm. There's nothing better than a cold Oreo. You got to put them in the freezer or in the fridge. It's so good. Huh, I guess I'll have to try it. Oh, I've never yeah. had them cold. I mean, things yeah. tend to be pretty hot in California because it's just hot all the time. We don't use AC at home. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, put, put your Oreos in the freezer and get into it. Hell yeah. They, they have these, uh, they have like the Oreo thins now and they have, uh, ones that have like mint in them. So it's like, it's like a thin mint type cookie, but <sighs> put those in the freezer. Ooh boy. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask about one or two more Pennsylvania things. Um, okay. I brought this up on every podcast and I feel bad about it, but I'm hoping to cap it off with this one. Okay. Birch beer. Birch beer. Are you birch a fan beer. of birch beer? It was something I was really able to find more commonly in Pennsylvania when I was on tour. And it's yeah. harder to find everywhere else. Yeah. Uh, birch beer is good. It, I don't know. It's strange to me because, you know, it's, it's always like one of, it's one of those clear pops. Yep. So you're like, this is, this is strange to begin with. And uh, I don't know. When, when I have it, I'm just expecting like – root beer because it has it just smells like root beer and, and kind of tastes like but it's just like it's like if LaCroix did root beer <laughs> that, that's what it makes me think of so not good <laughs> but you know I, I mean I don't mind it but it's like when I have it I'm just like well I could have just had a root beer and been happy interesting I don't, I don't know do you it, do it's, like it's not the worst thing in the world do you do like LaCroix and San Pellegrino and stuff like that you're a fan of the sparkling waters Oh God, no! I I hate all of them. Really? I hate them all so much. Yeah, I uh, if if I have if there's one vice that I have, it's it's drinking soda, and uh, I I used to drink like a ton of it, and but now I just have I have one can a day in the afternoon to keep my caffeine addiction headache from coming back. <laughs> so you know, th- there's been times where I'm like, well, I, I guess I could try Lacroix. You know, it's the type of thing that transitions you off of soda, but uh, 
when I drink it, I'm like, this is this is awful. I could be drinking a Mountain Dew. This is so bad. <laughs> like there's there's no flavor here. There's no sweetness. But I'm just so used to like the god awful sweetness of soda, and uh, it, it's it's bad. It's it's real trashy. But like <laughs> I, I will I will pick I will pick a, a nice nice uh, can of pop over over a seltzer any day. So what are some of your favorite sodas? We already talked about Verner's a little bit, which is a ginger ale, but or <laughs> well, ginger soda. I, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a junkie when it comes to it because as long as it has caffeine, I'm good. Okay. Uh, you know, I kind of I kind of jump around. I go back and forth between just like yeah, like I'm in, really into like vanilla coke, but then mm. I'll get real into like a like a Mountain Dew for a while, like you know, just just trashy stuff like that. Hell yeah! I get into all the weird little like you know like the Mountain Dew pitch black like the. <gasps> Like it's like literal car oil. Like. <laughs> Which of the weird Mountain Dews is your favorite? I I actually am particularly partial to Baja Blast. Baja Blast is good. I I don't know. Pro- probably Pitch Black is my favorite <laughs> out of all of those. Well, they they have that special one that it's like the black label one. Really, I haven't uh, heard about that. Oh, it, it's like it's like high end trashy Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> it, it only comes in tall cans. It's like so oh, like this yeah. thing. It it, it lo- the can looks like a Monster Energy like new metal nightmare. <laughs> it's real bad, but it it, it tastes pretty good. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's awful. Have you had Sunkist? Sunkist is the orange soda that has caffeine in it. Yeah, yeah, and the Sunkist also makes grape soda too. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, the the orange orange is good. I if I'm doing flavor like that, I always lean more towards grape than the orange. Okay. I don't know. There, there was a kick for a while where uh, Rachel and I were watching The Office, and there's like an episode where where Michael goes to the break room and, and he gets a can of grape soda, and like he comes back to like talk to Jim, and he's like, "It's grape soda." <laughs> and, and so we we immediately look at each other and we're like, "Man, I haven't had grape soda in years. I need some grape soda." And like, so we got on this kick of drinking grape soda all the time. Have you been trying because different of ones? like just because of Michael Scott? <laughs> have you tried like different brands of grape sodas uh yeah yeah but i think you always come back to sunkist really okay. I, I don't know why like that that uh that nice big corporate name just feels good sometimes i mean i'm, I'm a bigger fan of like sunkist than fanta but like fanta tends to be the grape soda that i've had or like grape sprite is in all these like coca-cola freestyle machines have you had those like freestyle machines where they have like yeah, bazillion yeah. flavors Definitely, yeah. I I haven't tried the grape spray. I can get into that. That sounds interesting. It, it's uh, it's good. I I like the freestyle machines because I'll mix like a fruity soda with ginger ale, and it kind of gives me this like Italian soda vibe. Oh yeah, there you go. Get, that's getting real experimental. Yeah, that's 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 where I'm at with the the. Whenever I whenever I do that, I always like to get the Pepsi Lime because do do you remember when they used to can Pepsi Lime? No. Oh, Pepsi Lime was amazing. That was like a like a late two thousands thing, and oh god, it it was incredible. And then they just like they pulled it. I think they did like diet Pepsi Lime for a while, but I don't think it's a thing at all anymore. Oh dang! But it's real good, Pepsi Lime. I, I wow. and it, it, They did Coke Lime too, but that wasn't as good. Pepsi Lime was really really incredible. It, that hit a sweet spot for me. Yeah, I mean. I guess Coke is better at doing like vanilla Coke because Pepsi's just oh, yeah. not good at like vanilla or cream 
flavored things at all. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, yeah. Vanilla, vanilla Coke far exceeds like 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 the cherry vanilla Pepsi or whatever. I, oh, yeah. I'm not really into that. But yeah, as far as like the the cooler pops, I get like I like the Sioux City sarsaparilla. That's oh, awesome. sarsaparilla is great. Yeah, that that's great. Like that, that's one of those things too, where like if I'm if I have to drink a birch beer or something, I'm just like, well, I you know, you could just do why not why not just get a Sioux City? <laughs> yeah, you could have sarsaparilla. Yeah. Oh, man. Are there any special meals that you've had on tour that kind of stick out in your mind from over the years? It's not not so much specific special meals but specific situations around meals uh there there was a venue i always used to go through back in the day it was in wichita kansas and it was a it was a house show place called the vertical violet the the people that ran it were like it it was an older married couple they were probably in their in their 40s early 50s and just like hippie people so the whole house was like this like hippie wonderland and the 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 husband worked he, he worked for like a like a landscaping company that just did landscaping for like super super rich people and he would get all of like the the throwaways that when they were working on like crazy uh i don't know like building out wild scenes in people's yards yeah. and uh so he turned their entire like backyard into this wonderland that was just all based off of like rich people's trash and it was it was like an incredible experience and these people were just very warm and inviting and the shows were always incredible and before every show they would always they would have like a a potluck dinner where they would cook like a a main meal and then all of the people coming would would bring dishes to pass and you would just you would break bread with the band And, and everyone would eat together and it was just like this very like communal feeling that no matter how many times i went through it it was always very warm and very comforting and welcoming and something i will literally never ever forget like the the food was just like an after fact to like the idea of just creating community and and family uh you know with with strangers that that was that has always always stood out in my mind and and there's been a few other instances instances of, of things of that nature that have always felt very special to me. And I don't know, any opportunity you get to do things of that nature, it can be very rewarding, very special. And I would encourage anyone listening, like if you if you do house shows or run house shows, like throw potluck dinners with your bands and it can really create special bonds that, that you didn't even realize you could have. Most definitely. So is there anything special coming up for you? I know you're always working on a ton of different design projects, like 10 at the same time. But <laughs> oh, you said you've I been wish touring. I could <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, there, there's actually no tours on the horizon for me at all. Uh, I had just gone out to Indiana and met up with Jack, and we recorded a bunch of new Boy Rex songs. That'll be released at some point this summer and then hopefully we'll be touring on that either in the fall or the spring we the the most recent tour i had i had done with boy rex was uh in march of this year so uh he he lives up in traverse city michigan and they they're like a big tourist town and he's like a a coffee roaster at this really cool place there in town and it's like busy season for them so he he can't do much touring in the summer but once that cools down uh i imagine we'll try to get out 
and and do some more traveling in the fall. Awesome. Well, come to the West Coast, please. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I I uh, I haven't done a proper West Coast tour since. 2011 so i'm like i'm ripe for for a for a good old-fashioned west coast tour awesome well (laughs) any final thoughts before we close it up here uh no this is this has been a lot of fun this was a very long conversation but i appreciate you having me on here i i had a lot of fun talking about all this and uh go go vegan it's a lot more fun and a lot more rewarding on tour Cool. That's a great sentiment to end it with. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you. (laughs) Well, if you made it to the end, thanks for listening. And of course, thanks to Brian for having such a deep conversation and for all those great recommendations. You can check out Dead Horse's latest record, Crescendo, on Bandcamp, or you can commission him for graphic design work. If you're looking for t-shirt designs, album art, or other visual imagery, you can check out his website at fleshandbonedesign.com. Since it's my birthday next week, I'm going to take the week off. (laughs) I'll be posting a special bonus clip from this interview that didn't make the cut, but otherwise I won't be back with a full episode until after the 15th. I'm going to be doing a few interviews with folks like Retirement Party, Neutral Shirt, and Members of the World Is. Plus, I got some special collaborations planned with other podcasts. So hit that subscribe button to stay updated. As always, we're on Facebook and Twitter at HeavySnackingPC, and you can email me at HeavySnackingPodcast at gmail.com. Shouts out to Harrison for sending me an email last week. Don't forget to check out our Google Map, where you can find all the restaurants talked about on this podcast. It's pinned to the top of our Facebook page. Thank you for listening. Please tell a friend and come back in two weeks for a fresh interview on the Heavy Snacking Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Adios.
Thank you for listening to the Heavy Snacking Podcast. Tune in next week and keep snacking.